Good afternoon, traders. Welcome to Stock Market Movers, where we get you all the information, of course, get to the expert opinions to keep you guys in the informational edge. Excited to get into today's show. We got a lot of topics to talk about. We got economic data, PCE deflator hit today, Micron Technology, Nike earnings, Carnival Cruise getting hit hard on their earnings. We'll take a look at Amlinx Pharmaceuticals, Rena Center getting hit also hard today. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods and Peloton joining together. We'll take a look at the CPI versus the PCE. Why does the Fed look at the PCE? We'll take a look at Funko's partnership and a short report out on Broadridge. We'll be talking to Spruce Point Capital today. Excited to get Ben Axler back on. And of course, we'll get a look at the economic output the outlook that's out there right now. We got some great guests on today. Of course, like I just mentioned, at 115, we got Spruce Point Capital Management going to be joining us. Uh, ben Axler, CIO, will be joining. And then we got Carlos Legaspi, President and CIO of Insight Securities. That will be coming up at 145. Welcome to Stock Market Movers. I'm your host, Money Mitch, and let's get into today's show. There are three ways to make a living in this business. Be first, be smarter, or cheat. I can't help you cheat, but I can give you the informational edge to help you succeed in the markets. Welcome to Stock Market Movers. All the market moving headlines and expert opinions every day. They say money is the oxygen of capitalism, and I want to breathe more than any man alive. All right, traders, let's get right into the action that's going out in the market right now. Let's take a look at the SPY. As we got above that 363 level back into the hourly range that was kind of sideways, we keep battling. Now we're starting to hold that as resistance, not what we want to be seeing, of course. We were looking for see if we would maybe get a little bit of a rally. But of course, the PCE came in, right? Now, PCE did come in a little bit hot. It came in on month over month at 0.6%, and the estimate was 0.5%, so a little bit hot. Remember, the prior reading was 0.1%, so, you know, of course, we wanted to be closer towards that 0.1%. We're not getting the quick turnaround in inflation that I think all of us would want to happen, and of course, the Fed wants to see it too. I don't think they're in agreement that they don't want to see inflation down, but of course, what does this number do for the Fed outlook? Well, I think it just continues what they've been saying, right? Now they're going to continue to keep raising those interest rates because it just doesn't seem like they're having an effect on inflation like they want to, right? That's their mission. Get it back to 2%. How hard will they have to go into inflation, uh, those interest rate hike rates? Will they get to 4.5? Will they get past that benchmark? Of course, that's what we need to talk about as investors. But right now, at least I can say that we didn't just completely just crush down today and we're hanging on. So if you take a look, essentially kind of sideways with this news that came out, if you look at Apple, ah, it's trying to hang on. Also, I said, take a look at Apple today. We'll see if it's able to hold on because that's going to affect a lot of the market because a lot of people were stunned to hear that report by Bloomberg and then Bank of America also coming with the downgrade. We need to keep on watch some of our leadership to see how they perform. Tesla was doing 
better in the intraday action. It was going on up. And then what happened? Boom, it's right back to VWAP. Let's see where it ends up the day. Will this close green is going to be vital to the overall market. Now, of course, uh, PCE is a number that definitely the Fed has countless times said that that's their focus. And a little bit after our first interview, I'll talk about CPI versus PCE and why I also agree with the Fed that maybe PCE is a better number. We'll tell you a little bit about that coming on up. What is different in their formula? What is different in their data? That's the important part here. But let's keep it going. Let's go towards Micron Technologies that did have earnings today. Uh, Micron Technologies adjusted EPS. Let's take a look at the chart today. Looks like we got a little bit of a bounce, but it was a little bit of a chop zone this morning in the pre-market action. If you guys didn't catch that, it was kind of going up, coming down, going back up. Now we're starting to really get a little bit of a lift here. Of course, they lowered the bar with that pre-announcement they gave us. But let's take a look at their numbers here. EPS at $1.45, beating the $1.30 estimate. Sales at $6.64 billion, missing the $6.68 billion estimate. This is where it starts getting a little bit concerning when you take a look at their Q1 23 uh, non-GAAP EPS that they put out there. They put $0.04 cents to 10, uh, plus or minus $0.10 cents from that $0.04. Cents. Their estimate was $0.64. Cents. So definitely not what you want to be seeing if you're looking forward into Q1 of 2023 for Micron's technologies business. Now, one thing that kind of gave them a little bit of a lift is if you saw the mention of the $320 million subsidy by Japan's industry ministry, um, that's definitely giving them a little bit of a lift here. So some negative, some positive mixed news coming here. Now, one thing that they did state that I don't think is definitely a positive you want to be hearing is Micron said that due to the sharp decline in near-term demand, they actually expect supply growth to be above the demand growth in the calendar 2022. So they're going to be higher supply than the demand. Not really what you want to be seeing. You want to be seeing them trying to meet the demand because, of course, maybe they're just trying to get the supply to the demand. It looks like they're going to have oversupply. And I think that's something that we've been hearing from a lot of companies, not a semiconductor yet, but remember like Target, right? They had that high inventory and then they said they have to sell it off at a discount. Well, mentions like this is not what we want to be seeing. And of course, Q123, not looking the best also, at least on their adjusted revenue, it was kind of more in line still, a little bit off there, they gave a 4.25 billion outlook plus or minus 250 million versus the 5.62 billion estimated there. So at least going forward, they lowered that guidance. But as you can see, it looks like investors are catching a little bit of a bounce today. A lot of this could be on stocks like NVIDIA also catching a bounce today as we're seeing the semiconductors up on the day. Let's go to Nike here now. This is the next one. And in about five minutes, we'll get into our interview. Nike's Q1 EPS coming in here at 93 cents, beating the 92 cent estimate. Sales at 12.7 billion, beating the 12.27 billion estimate. Nike says North America inventory grew by 65% in Q1 versus the prior year. They said greater China revenue down 16%. And also, their quarter-ended inventories were up $9.7 billion, up 44%, driven by elevated in-transit inventories from out 
from ongoing supply chain volatility. Not what I want to be necessarily hearing from Nike. I think is really a big, you know, bullish catalyst is that they have a bunch of inventory that they're just sitting on. But of course, this is seems like it's a common theme out there that companies have, you know, after the pandemic, when they were suffering with getting inventory, they just brought on too much. And now they're kind of trapped on trying to figure out, do we discount this inventory or do we just kind of hold on here and wait for the demand to get through this inventory? And that's something that's definitely hard to see, right? And so we're going to have to pay attention to see how Nike's business develops in the next couple of quarters to see if they can start bringing this inventory number back down. All right, the next one that was the disaster stock of the day, and I'll have to call it that because it's down big today, is Carnival. Carnival definitely getting hit hard. Q3 EPS coming in at a loss of 65 cents. Adjusted EPS at a loss of 58 cents. Missing the 13 cent loss estimate. Sales at 4.3 billion, missing the 5.13 billion estimate. And they stated that high fuel prices and inflation would delay its return to profitability. Not what you want to be hearing from Carnival if you're a, a kind of a cruise fan out there. And it didn't only attack, of course, Carnival Cruise Lines with this mention. RCL also taking a big hit towards the downside. And look at NCLH. Big candle to the downside there. It was holding kind of in an uptrend. Just broke that trend and coming right back down 1180s. And just to talk back towards CCL, take a look. Now you're through the pandemic lows. You got down there towards the 780s. Now you're at 730s. What will happen next for Carnival Cruise? Will they be able to survive? Of course, it's going to get tougher and tougher as they get lower and lower to try to raise some capital. So it's something to watch. Carnival, can they get coming back here? Can they get back to profitability? As they mentioned here, inflation would delay this. Now we'll have to just keep watch how the business develops. All right, it looks like we're at 113. I'm going to sneak one more in here and then we'll save a lot of the other topics for after the interview. We'll get into what was hot and what was not after that. Let's talk about Amlink's uh, pharmaceutical AMLX. Uh, was getting a, a nice little push here and then pulled back right out the gates. Now kind of coming back towards that kind of pre-market action as we are seeing some lift there. And what happened here? Well, the stock is trending higher after the company announced the FDA approval of a treatment for an ALS drug. And it looks like, hey, they're getting at least some appreciation after coming on back here towards the support We'll have to keep watching. A lot of these biotechs have been coming out with some catalysts. Of course, we had earlier in the week the Biogen news. That's recovering a little bit today. And overall, biotech, not looking bad here. I'm going to go towards my main chart here so you guys can see my biotech industry outlook. And this is coming back. And it looks to me kind of like an inverse head and shoulders trying to make its way back in biotech. So keep your eyes on some of these. And we'll, we'll keep watch to see which ones are doing well when we get into what was hot and what was not. All right, let's get out of AM links here. We're going to go into our interview today. Like always, one of the things that we want to do is get to the information, right? And so sometimes we're going to get these short reports, right? Whether if how you feel about it, one of the things that I think is definitely important is diving deep into the report to understand what that company saw 
that put them on high alert. So we're going to go into a short report here with, of course, none other than Spruce Capital. So I know that you guys have had, we've had them on before and we've talked about different kind of short reports. Today, we're going to focus on the Broad Ridge short report. So if you guys want to follow along, I definitely recommend you guys come on over to sprucecapital.com and download the report so that you guys can follow along here. I'll throw up the report here in the chat so that you guys can go ahead and click and follow along with me. And I'm going to bring the presentation for you guys right here on the screen so that you guys can follow along. Of course, there's 81 pages. So unfortunately, I don't think I'll be able to get through all of them today with you. But I'm going to do my best to break this down the best I can. And of course, I know Ben will help out. So let's get into our interview today. All right, Spruce Point Capital founder and CIO, Ben Axler, welcome back on. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I think maybe last time I was on, we were talking about Skechers and, uh, you know, some of the warnings we saw with the sneaker companies and the news on Nike today sort of uh, foretold some of the streams we saw uh, in, the, in the segment. Yeah, those high inventories, definitely not something that you want to be seeing continuously, especially in something like a shoe company. So let's get into now Broadridge. Of course, the first thing I want to ask more is first tell us about what Broadridge really does and why you don't see it as a SaaS or fintech company. Sure. So Broadridge is, is an old line company. It's been around for a while, spun out of ADP in 2007. Um, they're thought of as, as sort of a backbone player in the financial service industry. So if you uh, uh, own a mutual fund, you know, there's certain regulatory filings that a mutual fund has to provide. So they'll help distribute, you know, those documents. Like, likewise, if you're a stock owner um, and you get a proxy statement, you know, they have a proxy service business to make sure um, that you get those financial documents. But um, the issue that we see here is, you know, at the core, these are fairly low margin businesses. I mean, printing and distributing documents is, is not... Um, a, a fintech business. It's what we consider a business process outsourcing company. And, you know, if you look at their gross margins, I think that's where the rubber hits the road. You know, if you were a fintech or in a high quality, you know, software as a service um, fintech, you would be doing gross margins of 70% or 80%. You know, here the company does uh, about 28%. Uh, likewise, um, they talk about their recurring revenue. Why do they call it recurring? Well, you know, again, you know, um, mutual funds have to every quarter, every year, every semi-annual produce these documents. So it's sort of recurring. But, you know, our contention is it's not high quality recurring because there's no pricing power. Um, a lot of the, the, the prices and the fees they get um, are regulated. Um, and so there's no, um, you know, there's no inflationary adjustments here. It's mostly a volume business um, and they don't carry a lot of deferred revenue like you would expect to a SaaS company. So, you know, we think, again, there's a misperception here of them claiming to be a high quality fintech, you know, SaaS like business. And, and we kind of see it the opposite way. Also stated in the report is a shrinking ecosystem. What seems to be showing up here that seems to be getting unwrapped? Right. So, I mean, um, consolidation, you know, is a negative for them. And what we see is uh, increasing customer concentration. And, and you know, we also see them changing a little bit their disclosures. And we can talk about 
some broader issues there, you know, when companies start to change the goalposts or the metrics or the disclosures they give, that's generally a red flag. But, you know, the industry has shrunk. As you can see, there's fewer corporate issuers than there were um, a number of years ago. There's fewer um, institutional investors. There's fewer broker dealers. So, you know, consolidation um, from a financial service industry and a more concentration of customers gives gives your customers more, more leverage over you. And that's uh, one of our big concerns. Now, one major flag that is pointed out in the report, and I'd have to agree, it seems like a red flag for myself also, is the mention of the multi-year suspension of free cash flow. Yes. And also the CFO resigned, right? And so Correct. why is this a red flag to Spruce Point? And, and why should we be really worried about kind of getting that suspension of free cash flow off? Correct. So um, he resigned in 2020. Um, and that year, the, the cash flow guidance that they give, they m missed it incredibly by like 20%. And then, you know, going forward, they suspended it, but the cash flow has been going down. And that we think is, is tied to a, a project they announced with UBS. And UBS is a material customer. And UBS, you know, is a big financial service and, uh, company. But in particular, they tied their fortunes to the wealth management business at UBS. And UBS's wealth management business, their advisors, have been shrinking over time, and they have um, uh, partnered with them to build out a new wealth management platform. Okay, and uh, they that project uh, we believe has taken much longer and cost significantly amount uh, uh, more money than than they expected. Um, and the company won't disclose, and this is a red flag. They will not disclose how much they've spent on the UBS project, but we can estimate it at about a billion dollars. And we think, you know, based upon some revenue projections. $70 million a year that they get from UBS and we run an MPV analysis, we think that project's underwater, meaning they'll never be able to recruit <laughs> that investment. So they need to impair it and start expensing um, the incremental costs. And if they were to do that, their EBITDA would go down and we believe they, they would trip a debt covenant. Mm, that's interesting there. Now, I did see a bunch of revisions uh, being mentioned in the report. Can you tell us a little bit about this and why we should be concerned? I'm sorry, well, which revisions specifically? Uh, so I see a, a bunch of revisions. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's not like it's one, uh, but we, there, is, there is a bunch of revisions made in uh, the TAM. I saw the TAM get changed. I saw Correct. also a percentage on um, what the allowance adjustment. Um, and right. so tell us a little bit about this. Right, right, right. So um, one of the key metrics that management often talks about is their closed sales. Um, and they like to say, you know, we've closed, um, call it 300 million of sales this year. And, um, and they, you know, they then uh, just because they close a sale doesn't mean they book a revenue. And in fact, we saw this with the UBS in 2018, when they announced the partnership included in that closed sales number was about 40 million of UBS revenue. But guess what? We're, it's not going to be until 2023 until they actually book revenue. So that we have some concerns about that closed sales metric. They also have to make an allowance for, you know, closed sales that won't convert. And if you look historically, that allowance keeps growing and growing and growing, you know, me meaning that historically fewer and fewer of these closed sales are actually converting to revenue. They've also stopped com disclosing a portion of their backlog. Um, the TAM revision is also an important one too. They recently, just in the past couple of weeks, increased their TAM by 15%. And, they didn't give any justification why, and it makes almost no sense because here we are headed into an economic recession, 
and they're, they're not recession proof, but yet they're claiming their TAM is growing. So, you know, it's challenging, you know, we're trying to challenge the underlying assumptions that management is putting out, challenge the numbers. Um, and we see a lot of holes in, in, you know, in the numbers, whether it be the TAM or the quality of the closed sales metrics that they present. Now, another thing that clearly is stated in the report is their recent levered acquisition, right? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about this acquisition and how they're kind of giving some lofty expectations that you guys don't see will actually come to fruition? Correct. So, um, you know, this is a big issue that uh, we're going to see this time in this economic cycle versus previous ones. So, you know, Broadridge historically, again, def- thought of as a defensive company, sort of a in the financial plumbing um, network, but they've generally carried no debt. Um, now um, they levered up, uh, put over you know two point two billion dollars of incre- incremental debt on the balance sheet, um, and they paid ten times revenues for a Swedish company called Activity, which was only growing mid single digits to expand into front office capital markets software connectivity. You know, again, capital markets slowing down. They bought a, they bought a business tethered to something that's not economically insensitive. But you know, here we are now um, headed into a recession. They have a record amount of debt. They have a record low amount of cash. Um, they've been growing their dividends, so they have a record low amount of excess free cash flow to pay down this debt. And so, then uh, the the operating uh, cost structure of the business has risen. So you know, we warn investors that maybe. Maybe 10 years ago, this was more of a defensive business, but now you have a lot of debt on it, right? And you have uh, slowing growth. We have evidence that they're losing customers. Um, they've retracted a core um, metric they've given called uh, recurring cl- uh, customer revenue retention, uh, which was at sort of like 98%. They no longer state that in their SEC filings. So we see evidence of them losing customers. And so we think we think this time around, this is less of a defensive company. And investors are going to uh, need to brace for, for more downside given the leverage. Now stated in the report also is a high likelihood of that that Broadridge is under regulatory scrutiny from the SEC. Why do you guys feel this? I did see the letter that was stated there that they received SEC comments questioning the disclosure of the closed sales. And then a response came to the SEC that just caused a little bit more questions on the CFO, what happened here? Right, so they did in fact get an SEC comment letter, um, but we looked, we took a more holistic view to kind of see what, what's happening with the personnel changes, what's happening um, with some of their policies and programs. And one of the things that got us very concerned was looking at their code of ethics uh, policy. Uh, they've made four revisions to it um, since right around the time when the CFO left. and. Each time, you know, they're using a little bit more worrisome language, and including the word fraud in the policy, and in the late, latest iteration, giving explicit guidance about how to how to deal with a uh, regulatory inquiry. Like if you get a call, you know, don't answer, direct it to the legal department. So you kind of see things like that. You also see a change to the clawback policy, meaning that you know, if there's a financial accounting restatement that they can take back money from executives, that was just added. Um, that emphasis on accounting uh, restatement. You know, there's also a third party um, in the market called Probes Reporter. And, uh, you know, we recommend people go to that website. He specializes in filing freedom of information requests with the SEC. And based upon his analysis, um, he put Broadridge on his watch list, believing that they've they've had an SEC 
um, uh, investigation. So, you know, there's a number of data points. It's kind of like reading the tea leaves, but, you know, given everything we're seeing here, we think there's definitely a high likelihood they've come under SEC scrutiny. So I'll just say it how it is. Why is Broadridge overvalued? It's so it's trading at um, almost four times revenues at 16 times EBITDA. But, you know, that in our view puts it, you know, sort of on par with um, financial technology peers. But again, 40% of this business we think is tied to low margin to no margin, just business process outsourcing, like printing, uh, printing and distributing proxy statements or credit card statements. So they actually are, uh, they work with American Express. Uh, if you have an MX credit card, uh, they're the ones, you know, distributing the, the printed monthly statements. I mean, again, not great business, 40% of the revenue is tied to that. So we value 40% of the revenue at a very lower multiple, you know, a, a one to 1.2 times revenue multiple consistent with other business process outside printing companies. And then on the, the technology, the quote unquote technology piece of the business, we put a slightly higher multiple of two and a half to three times. And you value the sum of the parts there and, you know, we get 65 to 70%, 75% downside risk. Now I'll leave you the floor here to make any comments on any of the other short reports that you guys have put out or any other concerns that you have on Broadridge that you'd like to mention. I think the biggest concern is, look, I mean, you know, we put out a pretty pointed report um, that one would think the management would want to get ahead of and respond to and discredit or, or kind of refute some of our key findings. And we've heard nothing at all from the management. So if I'm a shareholder, I'm thinking, well, you know, <laughs> you know, wh why aren't they defending, you know, why aren't they defending themselves here? So that, you know, the, 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 the silence is pretty deafening. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we would like to see, obviously, if we're wrong for the company to tell us where we're wrong, um, because we certainly would fix our conclusions if we were proven wrong. Um, so that's a big concern. Um, otherwise, again, I, I think, you know, if you look at our recent calls, um, many of them are playing out. We also talked about Skechers, um, which is moving lower, obviously, in a, a weak numbers from Nike. We also warned about Generac, if you recall, the uh, standby power generator company, um, even despite a big hurricane, um, which generally stimulates demand for backup power. I mean, the stock's still under pressure. I mean, we kind of warned that they have no capacity and that they're under their alternative energy business is under pressure. They lost a distributor subsequent to um, to our report, and Generax uh, hit a new 52-week low. So um, I think you know we're broadly consistent with all of our reports. We stick to our guns. We certainly uh, are going to be sticking to our guns on on Broadridge, and we hope to have a follow-up call with you and uh, and report back that the stock's down 50% or more. Hey, we'll definitely wait and bring you back on like always, but we'll see how the story plays out. I do got to say that you guys give an expansive report there. So if you guys out there want to go ahead and look at it yourself as investors, take a look. 81 pages. It doesn't seem like it was something that was taken lightly and an extensive report there that you guys have given. So I appreciate you coming on today, Ben Axler, Spruce Point Capital Management founder and CIO. We'll definitely have you back on, Ben. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. Have a great one. All right. There you guys have it. First interview done. I always like getting to these short reports, you know, not just because, I mean, I, I do play some shorts myself. You know, uh, I know that you guys might call me, oh, no, evil short. But at the end of the day, we're all looking for opportunities. And one thing that I always look for is transparency, competitive advantage. What do they really are giving us and what's changing, right? 
Are they meeting expectations? Are they changing expectations? These are all the things that I look for, especially when I start diving into these reports. So like always, like what I like to do is go into it, go line by line and start looking. Do I feel these are red flags also? And in certain cases, you're going to find that, yes, you'll be able to raise the red flag also. So I think that that's the important part of these research reports is that it questions certain areas and leaves it up to you to make the investment decision. All right, let's get out of the Spruce Point Capital and Broadridge talk. Let's go towards our headlines. Let's get back towards the action. And let's take a quick look at the overall market. Let's see how we're doing, where we're at, and where we're trading. Well, let's take a look at the SPY. And right now, it looks like we are bouncing a little bit. So not the worst news, right? I think if we can just hang on here with the PCE report that we got, that's not bad news, really. Uh, I think, you know, getting a hot inflation number, I thought we would come down faster. But it looks like we're just holding on and going sideways here. So at least some good news in a lot of the bad news that's out there. Now, let's go to Center. some more bad news. But just how it is right now. So that's RCII. Let's talk about Rena Center and their shares are trading lower after the company cut Q3 guidance amid macro headwinds. So Rena Center cutting Q3 adjusted EPS guidance from $1.05 to $1.25 now to $0.85 cents to $0.95. Cents. So definitely cutting down that EPS guidance. They also narrowed their sales guidance from $1 billion and 1.05 billion to 1 billion and 1.2 billion. So bringing the sales guidance slightly down. But what does this show us more? That the recession concerns continue to start hitting the market. First one that I think we know we, we really started seeing getting hit is CarMax. CarMax coming back a little bit today, but Rena Center continuing that kind of outlook, right? Um, CarMax did get a little bit of a bounce back, but look how far it dropped. And I think that you're seeing a similar move here, RCII, Rent-A-Center. And, I, you know, one of the things is, will this, you know, in the long run, as we continue to get interest rates higher and we continue to have inflation being high, a lot of the consumer that goes to get these rentals at the Rent-A-Center are usually, let's just be real, are either mid or low class. And they're going to struggle as inflation stays high to meet these payment demands from Rent-A-Center. And I haven't done a, a loan from Rent-A-Center before, but if for any reason it has an adjustable rate, what would be happening to the consumer here? Well, I'm pretty sure that's going on up. And so it shows signs of concerns, maybe some delinquencies coming for Rent-A-Center that's something that I would definitely be watching if I was an investor in Rena Center. At least no position right now, but something to keep on watch as we're seeing more and more stocks take a hit with the outlook of recession coming. All right, now there is some other news out there that I thought was interesting. Let's go to DKS, or maybe we can go to Peloton. You know, uh, these are definitely companies that have been kind of beaten down, but Peloton definitely. I mean, think about where this company was in the pandemic. Now where it's trading, trading at $7 here. And they came out with a little bit of news trying to get their products out. I think this is more of a, so that we can see it in the stores and maybe go after it. So they're going after a partnership with Dick's Sporting Goods. 
So what is this to do? Try to attract the eyes, right? Because one of the things with the Peloton is that unless you know somebody that has a Peloton, have you ever really ridden the bike? Have you seen what the technology really truly has to offer? Well, I think this is an interesting move by Peloton saying that we'll get our bikes inside of Dick's so that maybe, you know, the average consumer that probably didn't think about it before can see it in the store and then have their own assessment about it. I think this is something that could give them a lift in the long run as one of the things that I think that a lot of people fail to see is the real use case and do, would they find it fun to be kind of biking on an indoor bike? Well, it might be because you see the technology and the screen and what that has to offer. Maybe you sit on it and you're like, well, this might fit me more as a consumer than others. We'll end up finding out if Peloton can ever turn around their story. They've tried everything under the sun. So maybe this could be the one thing they can actually turn around and attract some new customers. All right, let's keep going. We're going to what was hot and what was not. Let's take a look at the sectors and industry out there that are moving on the day. This is my favorite time because at the end of the day, this is what I love to do. It's trying to follow the relative strength and the rotation on out in the market. Now let's talk about what is doing well today. So it looks like basic materials leading. Talked about that yesterday. They started showing some signs of strength. Today, they continue to lead. What is doing well? Well, silver is doing well. So the, what does that show me? Probably that the DXY, the dollar, is heading on the downside. One way that I've mentioned that you guys can watch this is the UDN. If you keep watch on the UDN, you'll see if this is continuing in the bullish sense. This is a bearish dollar fund. So that's one way that I've been keeping a close eye. But of course, you guys can also just take a look at DXY, right? That's going to be a good indicator. The US dollar, are we coming down? And how does that affect silver and gold? It's been a pretty good reading to try to look for silver and gold to get a spike. But if you look at it, the dollar, I mean, it's still up on the day slightly. I have uh, like a 0.2 reading here. It's kind of sideways right now. It hasn't really started coming down fast. I mean, at least at least we're turning around from kind of the 114 uh, levels. So that's not the worst. We had gotten up towards a high of 114.10. Now we're back towards the 112s. Let's see if we head towards the 110s or back up towards the 114s after this. Now let's go out uh, in basic materials. Also, what else is doing well? Well, silver and gold, right? You keep those on watch. Paper products doing well today. Lumber and wood production. One that I've been slowly watching is EVA and WFG to see if we were going to get another run in lumber. We've gotten a couple of pushes in the last three days. Nothing that really sticks out to me. But steel bouncing back a little bit today, as you saw NUE. You saw Steel Dynamics getting a little bit of a lift. You saw X getting a little bit of a lift. But it looks like X came back to the red. Yeah, back into the red. There it goes X. Cleveland Cliff was also doing well, as you're seeing these start falling off the tape. Could be the overall market drag down. And wouldn't you know it, just take a look at the overall market. And we just got a fat five-minute candle heading down towards that 360.87. We don't want to see a close below that because now we'll be getting out of kind of that sideways consolidation and heading down to the downside. We'll see what happens there. I've been closely watching Apple on the day to see how Apple trades. Now we're starting to break through the lows. Not a good sign as Apple hasn't been able to rebound after the mention from Bloomberg. 
Uh, also, in basic materials, let's continue going through there. I did want to mention coal because this is a trade that I've been keeping a close eye. It did get a little bit of a bounce today. Hasn't really turned around on the downside, but AMR is another one to keep on watch. These have been really starting to trend. I think this is all about coal is going to be burnt in Europe as they try to adjust to the changes in natural gas. They're going to burn some coal to get the, some of that energy back. Uh, energy bouncing back a little bit today. XOM kind of fighting right now, really isn't into the green, but there is a couple of these that are. Uh, PBR getting a little bit of a lift today. Take a look. Maybe Chevron eh, still fighting about slightly down on the day. Oxy, at least this is bouncing back from the open. It came down, started bouncing back, and we'll see if Warren takes some more Oxy, but I wouldn't bet on it until it gets to maybe 58 or 59. He just seems like he likes that sweet level. But, of course, betting against Warren sometimes is a bad thing, and we're getting a little bit of a bounce there. It's bounced for the last three days. Of course, we got that mention that he added towards 20.9%. We'll see if he ever takes 50% or maybe the whole company. All right, it's about 140, about 145. We'll get into our next interview, of course, with Carlos Legaspi, president and CEO of Insight Securities. Happy to have Carlos back on, and let's keep going with what was hot and what was not. So we talked about what was hot. I mean, we could take a quick look at consumer cyclical getting a little bit of a bounce. An interesting area that I saw getting a little bit of a bounce today was Penn. Wanted to see if it was going to be able to close the day green. You could see it's kind of been holding in kind of this trend here. Wanted to see if it could close above 28. Looks like we're still battling. We haven't gotten through that. Of course, a breakdown through 26 wouldn't be a good level to watch. But if we could actually close above 28, I'm thinking maybe we can start finding kind of a bottoming outlook here on Penn. Remember, this one was at one point $130 stock. The pandemic had gotten as low as $15. So doesn't mean that it can't get lower. But it's an area that I'm just going to keep on watch, Penn National Gaming. All right. Um, utilities keep getting hit. This is not what I expected. Utilities had held a long-term channel for a long time. You can also take a look at this by looking at the XLU, right? And you can see here how we're starting to break down out of that channel. Didn't expect to see it go so fast, right? And so you can see Duke heading down also, starting to break all that bullish trend that we had. You can see it on NEE, Nextera. It was up towards the top, now has been breaking down and starting to cut through the 200-day moving average. Not what you want to be seeing in these utilities. XEL, one that I played, <laughs> and you can see here, I played it up for this little up move, and then it went down after that. So you got to be careful when these utilities actually crack, and it seems like they've cracked here. So I'm going to keep watch to see what happens, but the utilities are not holding on right now starting to really break uh, that channel that we had. It could recover, but for right now, it doesn't look good here in the XLU. Defensive is even down today. That's an interesting area to keep watch. Of course, uh, one of the areas that I'm watching here is like discount stores. They've been battling. You know, Target tried to make a little bit of a move up and just been sideways. If you think about it, Target has essentially been sideways for now 4.5 months. It's a big sideways trend there for Target and these other companies. Been looking to see if maybe Walmart would lead it, get back into the shadow zone above. Hasn't happened. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But I would like to see Walmart get up there. 
VG has been hanging out towards the top. So maybe Dollar General finally gets a lift through 250. Keeping these on watch. And will Dollar Tree make its way back into the shadow zone up? It's hanging out here around the 135s. Needs to start making its way back towards 150 if you're bullish on Dollar Tree. All right, we got about two minutes left. I want to get into one more topic before we get Carlos on. So I did want to talk a little bit about what happened in Funko. Funko is interesting stock, so let's take a look there. Uh, Funko is FNKO, so you guys can take a look here. Um, they did announce kind of a partnership that I think is important if you're a Funko investor. Um, they have collaboration with Warner Brother Consumer Products in D.C. today, announcing a new edition of its digital pop series. And I think that they do really smart in trying to combine two different areas right now. They're trying to combine the physical collection and the digital twin. So giving you an NFT but also still giving you that physical collectible, right? I think one of the things with NFTs that um, you'll be seeing kind of shift on over more and, and definitely be appreciated is if you can have some part of a physical collection so that maybe, you know, maybe you want to show it off in your office or something like that, and then also have a digital twin, right? That probably is gaining more value. That's what we hope for if we were holding the NFT, but I think this is a good mix here. And I think you'll see companies continue to follow kind of this strategy. So go ahead and get you a, a digital and physical collection. All right. Now in a second, we'll be getting into that interview. I did want to mention really quickly on what I learned on the PCE and the CPI. I tried to do a little bit of research here for us to really start bringing this together, right? A lot of what we hear the Fed mentioned is that they like PCE over the CPI. But why could this be? Well, if you think about it, if you look at it, well, let's look at the source of data, right, for CPI. Well, CPI uses data from household surveys, while the PCE uses data from gross domestic product report and from suppliers. So I think at least in that case, just where the source of data is coming from, I would trust a little bit more the PCE than household surveys. Another thing to notice there is the PCE measures goods and services bought by all U.S. households and nonprofits versus the CPI that only accounts here for the urban household, for all urban households. Now, if we think into the formula, right, and how it's really calculated, CPI formula is more likely to be affected by the volatility and wild price swings from such things like gasoline and computers, right? But the PCE is a little smoother. It's like using an EMA versus an SMA, right? And so what this is supposed to do is kind of smooth out some of these price swings to make it less volatile than the CPI. And I think another thing that the PCE does well here is that it encompasses a broader range of the good and services than the CPI. The CPI tries to track here kind of, it doesn't track well the relative price changes, right? And so one of the things that the uh, PCE does a little bit better is that it tries to track what was actually purchased and represents how consumers change their buying patterns to when relative to price changes. So in the, in the overall outlook, the PCE is trying to smooth out some of the volatility versus 
like you see in the CPI, that has a tendency of having those big swings. So I kind of understand why the Fed is trying to use PCE over CPI. But like always, you guys can do your own research to determine the difference here. And one thing is, I don't really think that one's better than the other, but they're just trying to use one that's more data dependent than a survey dependent outlook. Well, just wanted to bring you guys that quick research. Now we can get into our interview. I hope that you guys are excited as I am to continue on during the day and hit the thumbs on up if you guys have enjoyed Stock Market Movers today. Let's get into our second interview with Carlos Legaspi. All right, Carlos Gaspi, president and CIO of Insight Securities. Welcome back on. Hello, Matt. How are you? It's good to have you on, Carlos. And I know that you are like a lot of investors out there just continuing to watch, see when inflation finally determines to start heading back down. But how do you feel about the overall market? Especially, it's a, it's a tough time right now. It, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been fun because I've been, this is my third time with you and We've had huge swings in between, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, 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 what it is is that liquidity is being drained from the market by central banks around the world, and that creates uh, that seeking of liquidity, a mass liquidation of assets, and everything trades in tandem, and 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 that's what I'm seeing both on the when it was rallied from June to August or the sell-off, everything doesn't matter the sector, everything is down or everything is up. And again, I think that creates great opportunities to um, uh, change switch horses, you know, uh, in, in the going, what will thrive in the environment going forward. But you got to see beyond the tiding cycle, because so long as this is going on, this draining of liquidity, um, it's a great trading market. If you're a trader, it's fantastic. Um, it's an it's painful as an investor. However, if you have that long term horizon and you do adequate uh, stock selection, I think you're going to do fine uh, once we're on the other side. I think it's an important mention that you you're, you're mentioning there is uh, kind of thinking about okay, so yes, we have this tightening cycle, but what happens when this ends? And do I have my plan? ready for that moment versus waiting for that moment to happen and then trying to react as an investor, right? I think we all need to be keeping that in mind. Okay, yes, we're going through this cycle, but eventually the cycle seems to end and actually switch to the opposite end, right? And so that's one thing that I've been noticing. The Fed is playing the extreme and it feels like it's a pattern to me, right? It, at least in my years of investing, at least from what I've seen the Fed do, is it moves from the opposite end of the spectrum. Sometimes it's extremely supportive and sometimes they're going to move into extremely restrictive. Do you feel that what it will it really take for the Fed to really go into more of a pivot mode and get out of that restrictiveness and move back towards the middle or maybe even to supportive? Well, you have to see what is the ultimate goal for the Fed. Uh, the ultimate goal for the Fed is to bring inflation down. Their goal is not to create a recession. If they had a magic wand to be able to bring inflation down without a recession, they will do it. So 
they uh, are, are, are trying to walk that fine line. And that is what was eroding their credibility before. And so there's a lot of talk, oh, the Fed's late. They kept the loose liquidity for too long. Now they have to overdo it on the other side to compensate, which is going to create a hard stop. But it kind of reminds me of my parents. You know, sometimes my, my parent would spank me and sometimes my parent would threaten to spank me. And sometimes the threat was more effective than the actual. And yeah. Trust me, I grew up with the chancletas, so I, I yeah, know all yeah, about yeah. that. <laughs> we know about that. So I, I've been noticing a lot um, uh, Powell's rhetoric, and they really changed. We're going to do whatever it takes to bring inflation down and slay it. And, and so immediately expectations for further hikes have gone up with a reason. However, I still believe they will be data dependent. And if just the change in expectations changes the demand profile um, and, and inflation starts pivoting, they might not have to go to that extreme. They're willing to do it, and I don't want to call their bluff. However, I, I do think that between the, um, the threat plus the fact that they still have a lot of balance sheet to unwind, that they could continue the normalization of monetary conditions with what it could be a more of a modest recession as opposed to like, you know, the depression that a lot of people are, are, are fearing. And it's um, so that's where when we talked about, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit more bullish going forward because we've had this big sell off. We're retesting the lows right now. Um, and it's not an exact science, but at these levels, remember where we were in June. And it, if, if I was not in the market, I would have missed that huge rally. Yeah. So it requires being really nimble, really disciplined. And if the market starts going up, start taking profits along the way. You know, don't, don't yeah. wait to ring the register at the top saying, hey, I got a 10% hike. I want to sell a quarter or sell a half you know, and, and enjoy it and, and, and not saying, well, it could have stayed to the very end. And so in a rapid moving market um, with changing conditions day by day, uh, you got to set your goal and saying, if these things get to this level on the downside, I want to buy. And then you set a level for an exit. And if it rebounds to this level, I'm going to sell. And then you put your good till cancel orders for them to execute uh you know automatically as opposed to you hesitating yeah that's that. one thing that i i see happen often and it right now is a lot of subjectiveness right and so one of the things that we want to try to remove to try to help the probability is remove some of that subjectiveness right we want to be objective i like how you're mentioning there have your targets on maybe entry and exit and try yeah. to stick to them right now because it's difficult there's just a lot of noise out there and it's hard as investors to make through that noise. So I do see right now as it being one of those times where the base hits will add up. Now, the one yeah. thing you don't want to do is get yourself holding the bag right now, right? Correct. And, and another way to have those little base hits, um, we do use options a fair amount, um, both uh, on the call writing or on the put writing. 
So instead of putting a good deal cancel order uh, to buy a stock, I sell a put at the price I want to buy it. I collect some premium uh, that I get to keep no matter what, whether I buy the stock or not, I get to keep it. And the same thing with a call. So if I buy the stock, I sell the call at that target I want and I get paid right now. Yeah. And if it stays in between that range, I just collect it on both sides. So, hey, not a bad way to approach it. I know there's uh, more than one ways to skin a cat, they say. Um, Now, one question that I would have, do you feel that the Fed is being too aggressive, which could end up leading to maybe a financial accident? I don't think that they're being too aggressive because the inflation numbers are there. It's they need to show that commitment of whatever it takes to bring it down. Um, however, I am of the opinion that that all that will take or that what we expecting it will take is not going to have to be fully deployed. That I think that we're going to start seeing that pivot ahead of time because it, it comes, you're trying to modify human behavior. So if you're a decision maker in a business and saying, what are my hiring plans? What are my expansion plans? What are my plans? I'm going to base it on those conditions. And what the Fed wants, it wants to curtail demand because we have an undersupplied world, both because of COVID, because of China lockdowns, war. There are a lot of other factors that there's insufficient labor, insufficient goods, services that drives prices up. So the Fed can only control the demand side, not the supply side. So um, I think that uh, as business leaders, we'll see they're probably going to, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that unemployment will eventually start going up, which is one of the main drivers of wage inflation. Uh, But also there may be investment in, in capital to bring new supply of something that's undersupplied. And that will also help curtail the prices because you just have more goods and services available. Now, I I can't wait to see what is written about the Fed in behavioral finance books in a couple of years. I'm sure this is going to expand further and further. A lot of what you're saying there, too, with that behavior, how do the consumers react? How do customers react? How do companies react here? And they have to adjust, right? They have to. We've been hearing freezings of hiring. We've been hearing layoffs. But one thing that we haven't seen is the labor market really kind of deteriorating. How long do you think it'll take to really start seeing this, Carlos? Well, it's that's the thing. You know, we we lost a lot of workers for COVID just by uh, by you know dying or or being you know uh, incapacitated, and so and and you see it in many many sectors. This hunt for 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 labor and the um, unfortunately, there's such a backlog that is going to take a while. I think you're going to see other indicators uh, pivot before labor. I I wish that the U.S. had a little bit more uh, relaxed on the issuance of visas and importing workers from abroad. I think that would be a big help in, in, in inflation that gets tangled in politics. And and that that's a, that's a sad, sad, uh, that would be an easy solution and it's not being tapped. Now, last question I have is on the housing market and real estate. Do you really see signs of big concerns here, like 
maybe financial crisis concern? Or do you feel like this is just going to be uh, a cycle that we need to kind of work through? I think it's a cycle. However, it's very regional because you have some markets that are really, really you know, South Florida. You know, there's some there's just irrationality there. And you're going to see some people hurt as 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 if you're buying something because you're expecting somebody's going to buy it from you at a higher price. That's where how that's how bubbles occur. And so so, yeah, so there's bubbles in a couple of markets, but not systemic like it was in 2008. And it was and also the um, the structure of how it was being financed is very different in terms of, the you know, uh, the the subprime lending uh, that brought the 2008 crisis is not really a big factor here. It's just, you know, uh, lack of supply or excessive demand uh, will come to um, to equilibrium. So, yeah, it's not uh, I, I think they have a definitely a big headwind with with higher um, higher interest rates and um, and demographically, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, the, the, even though the, the U.S. is one of the fastest growing developed economies, its population still slowing. So demand for housing will go with it. Now, last thing, I'll just leave you off open floor opportunity. Where do you feel that investors should be maybe really keeping an eye on for opportunities after we've had these huge declines from the bear market? Well, definitely depends on where you are in your life. If you're you know, closer to retirement versus you have more time. If, if you're close to retirement, uh, I think fixed income starts to become finally uh, interesting. You know, yields at, at, at these levels. Um, uh, especially if the Fed it succeeds in bringing inflation down, will give you a nice, real positive return with very little risk. Um, if you have a long-term horizon, you're young, you're starting to get investing, um, you're probably you know hurting because you've never seen anything like this before. And but all I could say is that it's happened over and over and over. And so just think about companies that are making money in this environment this may not recognize it and reward it in the stock price right now but eventually profits you know impose themselves and you just need to wait for time so if this line of business i still like healthcare a lot i don't see why that should go you know um, less demand you know aging population you know healthcare um that that's good um ironically with higher interest rates i like insurers um just because they invest the their 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 corpus on very long term horizons, and now they have more opportunities uh, for 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 compounding. So I like that sector, and um, and again, unfortunately for now, anything that's speculative that does not making money right now, um, those they're gonna be they're already down, and they're probably gonna stay down. So if you own some of those, it, it hurts to take a loss. But you already took it. It's just in your head. Might as well switch it to something else. Yeah. And that's that's what I see. Uh, a lot of people getting stuck in the mentality, right? They probably have a huge loser and they just won't let it go. And I think that, you know, in this time, you need to determine if that company even has a chance to come back to those Correct. levels, right? Because there are going to be some companies that just don't make it back. Yeah. 
and that's Correct. normal. That's not 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 unnormal. It's it's, it's happened before. I know uh, it happened in the dot com era. It happened in the financial crisis. And so I appreciate you joining us. Like always, Carlos, you have some great insight on a whole bunch of different areas in the market, whether we just talked about real estate, the Fed, the overall market and outlooks on different time frame, which I think is really important. you got to know what you're looking at, what your actual mission is and what you're trying to invest for. So like always, reach out to Carlos. I'll make sure that we have his Twitter in the uh, description below and have a great one. We'll bring you back on, Carlos. Thank you, Mitch. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. All right. A little overtime action there. We're past 2 p.m. What does that mean? You guys in the chat, hit that thumbs on up. I hope that you guys appreciated today's show. We covered a lot on the conversation. We touched the economic data, the PCE deflator. We touched the earnings from Micron, Nike, Carnival Cruise. We talked about Amlix Pharmaceuticals, Rent-A-Center, Dick Sporting Goods taking a shot with Peloton, the CPI versus, of course, the PCE we talked about the short report from Broadridge and economic outlook. Thank you, Carlos, for doing that. And also thank you for Ben Axler for joining us today from Spruce Point Capital Management, founder and CIO. I appreciate everybody that came on today. And you guys out there, let's keep making Stock Market Movers the best show to watch in the afternoon to get all the headlines and of course, the expert opinions all in one hour. I hope that you guys had a great week with me. Definitely hit the comments after. Let me know what you want to see more or less of on that show. Remember, you guys run the wheel also. And I'll see you next time. Wish you guys the best. And I will have myself a little bit of a hurricane weekend. Hopefully, I have internet on Monday and get through this. But like always, stay safe out there. And I'll see you next time. Keep working on your skills. Up next, of course, we'll have at the close at 3.30. And we'll take a look at the overall market as we keep dropping a little bit here. Not what I wanted to see necessarily for today, but like always, we can only react to the prices. We can't get emotional and attached to the market. I'll see you next time right here. Stock market movers, Money Mitch, and let's keep going right here on Benzinga.